Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone in the United States and around the world. Uh, for those are, that are in a time zone, where is the morning? My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the fantastic meaning of Shemi Atzeret, uh, the eighth day of assembly. Uh, this is a day that I know is not really understood by a lot of people, even those people in the Hebraic Roots movement. And so I'm going to do the best I can to explain this very significant day. This day is today, Shemi Atzeret, the eighth day of assembly. But first, before I get into explaining this very significant day, uh, I must warn you about the Ebola virus. Uh, it's, uh, the president uh, this week appointed a czar. A czar is someone who is responsible for trying to halt a, a potential uh, epidemic like uh, Ebola. So, look, folks, I've been warning you about this. If you're not taking this serious now, you better start taking it serious. Uh, let's go over a few scriptures again. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, 23, rather. Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. It says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And then Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We are in the days of Noah right now, uh, no doubt. And we need to understand this. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. And so, Yah, or God, Yah is short for God in Hebrew, he will protect you, ladies and gentlemen, but he wants you to do all you can. Remember, faith has works. You just don't lay around and do nothing. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, the first uh, basic doctrine of Yah is repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works. Prove to God that you believe him. Just like you prove to your boss on your job that you are worthy to continue to work on your job, right? If you don't do what your boss tells you to do in your job, what happens? You get fired. Well, the same thing with God. If you don't do what he commands you to do, you will get fired, all right, thrown in the lake of fire. Anyway, getting back to uh, significant world events, ladies and gentlemen, this country 
has for years allowed abortion. It continues to allow pornography on the Internet, in movies, adult bookstores, etc. You think God is not going to judge us for that? Turn to Ezekiel chapter 14. What does he say when there's grievous sins in the land? Ezekiel 14, verse 13, Son of man, when the land sins against me by trespassing grievously, I would say that allowing abortions, as a matter of fact, the Supreme Court uh, is still allowing a, an abortion clinic to continue the butchering of babies. Uh, that recently happened. Anyway, uh, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it and will break the staff of the bread there. That's why we're starting to have economic problems. We've been having it for a while, but it's increasing lately with the stock market crashing. Not crashing, but going down. People are concerned right now. Uh, you have this Ebola virus happening right now. I hope that God has mercy and stops it. But if he doesn't, folks, realize the reason why. Because we are trespassing grievously in this land, this country, clear around the world and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. And he says in verse 14, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. What is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172, is keeping all the commandments of God. Now, I want to go to the part where he talks about pestilence. Verse 19 of Ezekiel chapter 14. Or if I send a pestilence like Ebola... I hope it doesn't turn out to be a, a, a total judgment of God like this, but it could be, and that's why I'm warning you right now. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast. Verse 20, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Part of the righteousness of God is obeying his commandments, and his commandments are all throughout the Bible. And in Proverbs 22, verse 3, it states that you should be wise when you hear of evil and prepare for it. Even our government agency, FEMA, tells us to do that, to prepare for emergencies. And I've been recently persecuted because of saying common sense. Well, we've got to have common sense, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't have common sense, you won't be able to use your brains properly and think. All right, so anyway, prepare for this, for this uh Ebola virus. Now don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you this out of love for you. Don't take it lightly. World Watch Daily, Koenig International News, uh, watch.org. We have a report here. Islamic State flying three jets in Syria. Um, we have that Kerry is trying to broker a deal for Middle East peace again. And uh, you know what's going to happen if, if they try to do that. That's not something that God approves of, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, things are heating up here. Uh, Palestinians to submit a U.N. resolution by end of October. The Palestinians will submit a draft resolution to the U.N. Security Council demanding the end of Israel's occupation by the end of October, a senior official said on Thursday. The Palestinians have been under intense pressure not to push forward with the resolution, including the alleged threats of cuts to U.S. aid, but PLO Secretary General Yasser Abad Rabal said a decision was taken late Wednesday to push ahead. So we need to take a look at that. Uh, we know that things will start 
all the great trouble that's going to occur in the future will start in Jerusalem and end in Jerusalem based on Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14. Now, I'm trying to go to the economic collapse blog here and uh, get some information here uh, about what's going on domestically here. Uh, Michael Snyder, again, uh, does a very wonderful job warning us through this website. And we need to continue to look at this website before they take it down, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because this country, as a matter of fact, the entire world, they hate the truth, based on Isaiah chapter 59. Ebola travel ban now. And he's talking about, uh, he says, is, is Barack Obama completely insane by not instituting an immediate ban on all non-essential travel between the United States and West Africa? He is putting the lives of more than 300 million Americans at risk. Anyone with a shred of common sense knows, and I've been persecuted for common sense, well, we need to have some common sense, knows that you keep more people from getting sick by keeping the sick people away from the healthy people. Because the Ebola outbreaks in Liberia, uh, Guinea, and Sierra Leone are raging out of control, it is extremely difficult to tell who is carrying Ebola and who is not carrying Ebola. Therefore, we need to keep everyone from these countries away until those outbreaks subside. If Barack Obama had established an Ebola travel ban a month or two ago, like he should have done, Thomas Eric Duncan would never have entered the United States, and we would not have two Texas nurses infected with the virus. But because Barack Obama did not do his job, now we have a new Ebola scare popping up somewhere in the country almost hourly. If this outbreak eventually evolves into a full-blown pandemic, we will know who to blame. As Isaiah chapter 1 says, our leaders are sick. They don't think straight. And he states here, if a few Ebola cases can make the stock market crash this much, what would a full-blown pandemic mean? Please read that. I don't have the time to read it. Nine ominous signals are coming from the financial markets that we have not seen in years. Twelve charts that show the permanent damage that has been done to the U.S. economy. Serious financial trouble is erupting in Germany and Japan. Please. Read this website. Study it. The economic collapse before it is taken down. Let's get into the Bible study here about Shimi Atrit, the eighth day of assembly. And we find the commandment to keep this day holy in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. And it talks about the Feast of Tabernacles, but... Shimi Atarets, many people think, is a part of the feast. It's not a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is seven days. Shimi Atarets is a separate festival. It's connected to the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's a separate festival from it. Uh, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34. Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a Feast of Tabernacles, seven days unto the Lord. So the Feast of Tabernacles of Sukkot is seven days. Verse 35 of Leviticus chapter 23. On the first day shall be a holy convocation or an assembly. You shall do no servile work therein. Verse 36. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation, which is Shemiatrith of assembly. And you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall do no servile work. All right. So uh, we're going to focus on Shemiatrith now. Shemi pictures the time when God the Father will come and make the earth his home. The Father would dwell with his creation. The creation at this time will be renewed. New heavens and new earth. 
It will be perfect or complete like he is. The seventh day of Sukkot is very significant. Traditionally, Jews on the seventh day of Sukkot had a special celebration. This celebration is called Hosanna Rabbah, which in Hebrew means the great salvation. The great salvation. Now, I highly recommend you read William F. Dankenbring's article, The Awesome Mystery of Hosanna Rabbah. You can Google it. I got this revelation from him. I get revelations from God all over the place, and he leads me to certain articles and men who are teaching the truth. And that's how the Holy Spirit leads you into all truth. He does it primarily through men that are teaching correctly. Um, uh, that That's based on John chapter 16, verse 13. He leads you into all truth, and and uh, I've been taught by, by other Torah teachers, uh, and I'm sure many of you have as well. And I will give credit when it's due. That's what we're supposed to do. All right, so according to Jewish tradition and Yeshua's parable of the sower, Jewish tradition, during the Festival of Tabernacles, they take an etrog, a citron, a lulaf, a palm branch, a hadas, a myrtle, and a arava, a willow. They tie it together and they wave it north, east, south, east, and west. Okay, north, east, south, north, <laughs> south, east, and west. Okay? Now, the etrog tron represents a person with Torah and good deeds. This is based on Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, because Yeshua, uh, he did give you four characteristics of human beings and how they act when it comes to approaching uh, his truth. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, 13, verse 18 to 23, he states the following, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, or the sower, rather. I get that mixed up. (laughs) Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. All right. Verse 19, When any one heareth the word of the kingdom, the Torah, the instructions of God, and all these 66 books, and understand it not, then cometh the wicked one, and, ca- and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. Based on uh, the way the Jews have interpreted this, it, it represents uh, the etrog, the citron. And this is just Jewish tradition, but it lines up with Scripture, so that's why I'm talking about it, right? And so the etrog, or citron, uh, is a person with, that has the knowledge of Torah. Uh, no, wait a minute. The uh, in verse nineteen, this is uh, the willow. I'm sorry. Uh, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is which receiveth the seed by the wayside. That's represented by the arava or the willow. All right. In the verse twenty, but he that receiveth the seed at the stony place is the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receive it. Verse twenty one. Yet has he not root in himself, but during Dure for a while, when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Okay? Uh, none of the, uh, none of the, this, this can probably be represented by the uh, the willow as well. Uh, but certainly uh, it can also refer to uh, people that that when they receive the word, as he stated, uh, they're okay until there's trouble. <laughs> and then Acts 14, verse 22 plainly states, what does it state? That through much tribulation you enter the kingdom of God, see? And uh, I, I, I am familiar with people like that in this movement that uh, when there's problems, oh, now they don't want to obey anymore, you know? And that's, you, you can't be that way. You can't be that way and, and, 
respect to making it in the God's kingdom, acting that way. But anyway, verse 21, Yet have he not rooted himself, but during for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. And then Matthew 13, verse 22, He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And so he hears the word. And the care of this world and the deceivings of riches choke the word and become unfruitful. Unfruitful, okay? And so that, that can be represented by the lulav or the palm branch. Now, Matthew 13, verse 23. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it, which also bear fruit and bear forth some a hundredfold, some sixty. So that can certainly be represented by uh, the, what I would meant to say, uh, the etrog or the citron, Matthew 13, verse 23. That's a person with tor and also with good deeds. The lulav branch or the palm branch is represented by Matthew 13, verse 22. This is the person who's also received seed among the thorns as he that heareth the word. So he has tor, understands tor, and the care of this world and the seed from the riches choke the word up and he becomes unfruitful. So that's the, that's the palm branch. The myrtle is represented by 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. They have good deeds, but it's without tor. What does 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3 state? It states, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity. Charity in the Greek means love. What is love? Love is walking in the commandments. Uh, 2 John 1, verse 6, it profits me nothing. So if you if you give all your goods to the poor, do good deeds without tor, it profits you nothing. <laughs> That's what it says, basically. All right, so... So um, this is very, very um, good to understand what are the four classifications. I would go more toward Yeshua's parable of the sower. He gives you four characteristics of human beings and how they act. Study that. And that's, of course, uh, the Jews have have uh, also done that as well. But Yeshua gave, gives us a better interpretation of that. Anyway. Let me quote a few things from uh, some books that uh, Duncan bring in his article, his excellent article on the awesome mystery of Hosanna Rabbah, quoted from. Now, in the book Celebrate, it talks about Hosanna Rabbah, the great salvation. Therefore, the final day of the festival, when the last sacrifices were offered on behalf of the other nations, was identified as the occasion when the earth is judged regarding replenishment of water and consequently when mankind's fate collectively and individually is sealed. This is mankind's fate, the rest of the population of the world. Fate is collectively and individually sealed. Rabbinic literature identifies this Yom Davata, Day of the Willow. Now, what is the willow? The willow is an individual that has no Torah and no good deeds, as represented by Matthew 13, verse 19, and James 2, verse 17, having faith with no works, okay, or not doing anything. Faith without works, you're dead. That's what it says. And so anyway, this Yom Devarta, or Day of the Willow, as Yom Hakitim, the Day of Sealing, an extension of Yom Kippur. Striking the willows, no Torah, no deeds, then had the added connotation of casting away of sin, or symbolizing the thrashings one would receive and before sin. That's on page 214 of Celebrate. Uh, here's another quote uh, from the Fall Feast of Israel. The seventh and last day of Sukkot, known as Hosanna Rabbah, the great Hosanna, or the great salvation, is somewhat a festival in itself. On other days of the feast, when the family goes to a synagogue, one procession is made around the sanctuary with the lulav and the etrog. Now, what does the lulav represent? Knowledge, uh, the Torah, and you, but you don't have any uh, good deeds. All right? 
and the etrog represents the the person that we want to all be, a person with Torah and good deeds. All right, and so uh, one procession is made around the sanctuary with lulav and etrog, while the congregation sing Hosanna, save us. This particular tradition is believed to date back to the time of the Maccabees, around 165 BC, which is interesting. On the final day, the entire congregation marches around seven times, carrying even more willow leaves with them. These seven times memorial of the circuits made by the ancient priests around the temple altar during worship remind us of God's goodness in destroying Jericho once Israel had circled it seven times. After the seventh time around the synagogue, the willow branches are beaten until their leaves fall off, a symbol of beating off our sins and a prayer for plenteous water for next year's willow. So the willow, again, represents no Torah and no good deeds. We need to beat that out of our personalities, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to beat that no that debt works attitude out of our systems, uh, I mean, out of our body, out of our body, and out of our minds. Contrast to the festive days of Sukkot, Hosanna Rabbah is observed solemnly as an extension of the Day of Atonement. On this day, the rabbis tell us the gates of judgment finally close, and the decrees pronounced by God on the Day of Atonement take effect. The Fall Feasts of Israel, pages 198 to 199. Now, Yeshua was present during a celebration of Hosanna Rabbah. This is found in John 7, verse 2 and 10. Uh, he celebrated the feast, despite what people think, uh, and that's why we should do it, because we need to follow his example, which is for, for, uh, found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. But anyway, John chapter 7, verse 3, uh, actually, John chapter 7, verse 2, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and in verse 10, but when his brethren were gone up, they went up also into the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up into the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Okay, so he went up to the feast in secret. Uh, excuse me. He had to drink some water there. So John 7, verse 37 to 39 is a significant quote. Um, let me quote that here. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So I, I want you to notice something here, that he certainly was involved in Hosanna Rabbah, which means that he did not condemn all the oral law, as, as some people mistakenly teach. And so he was involved in this celebration. He certainly kept the Jewish traditions that did not make void the law of God. Now here's a quote from uh, the Jewish New Testament commentary by David Stern. On the last day of the festival, Hosanna Robert literally on the last day of the great day of the festival. Greek uh, Megali, great, corresponds to Hebrew Rabbah. The seventh last day of Sukkot had its climax. Throughout the seven days of the festival, a special calling or priest, had carried water in a gold pitcher from the pool of Shiloh, uh, Siloam to be poured into a basin at the foot of the altar by the Kohen Haggadah. It symbolized prayer for rain, which begins the next day, Shimi Atzeret, and it also pointed toward the outpouring of uh, the Ruach HaKadosh on the people of Israel. See, and then it's rain represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In a suggested reflection of how the holiday was used to be celebrated, today's Moroccan Jews pour water on each other as Sukkot. On the seventh day, the, the water pouring was accompanied by Kohenim blowing gold trumpets, Levim, or the Levites singing sacred songs and ordinary people waving their lulavs 
and chanting the Hillel. Uh, the Hillel is the traditional Psalms 113 and 118, in which it should be read during the Feast of um, Tabernacles. It's a good Jewish tradition, which includes in his closing verses, Adonai, please save us. Uh, Adonai, please prosper us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. We have blessed you out of the house of Adonai. God is Adonai, and he has given us light. And this is uh, from the Jewish commentary, the Jewish New Testament commentary by David Stern. Hosanna Rabbah of the seventh day of Sukkot pictures the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen. This is found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 to 15. I may not have the time to read all these scriptures, but uh, I'll do the best I can. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 to 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So this is a judgment period. God is giving the opportunity for all of mankind who did not know his truth to finally know his truth. That's what Hosanna Rabbah represents, ladies and gentlemen. Because remember, Yeshua said, whoever is, and that's not happening right now. There's a lot of people who are thirsty, but yet God has not called them yet. That's based on John 6, verse um, 45. John 6, verse 45. He's not calling, uh, actually John 6, verse 44 to 45. He's not calling everyone right now at this time uh, for salvation. This is not the only day of salvation. That's a false doctrine that's been taught for years. Um, and then uh, we are, understand what happens in the Great White Throne Judgment. And verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that means some people will be found written in the book of life, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Acts 17, verse 29 to 31 indicates that that God winked at the ignorance of, of mankind in re relation to him, but now he commands everyone to repent. This happened in the first century. Romans 11, verse 32 states that uh, he has assumed that everybody, and this is a significant scripture, God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy on all. So he wants to have mercy on all, and that's what the great white throne judgment represents. Second uh, Peter 3, verse 9 states that he, he wants everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, states that he desires everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25, says a part of repentance is coming to the knowledge of the truth. Matthew 11, verse 20 to 24, tells you that people will be resurrected and, 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 and they will be given an opportunity to understand his truth. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 20 to 24. Says, then began he upbraid the cities which most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, uh, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago and sacked off in Ashland. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. This proves that obviously there's going to be a group of people that will be given an opportunity to understand his truth. Ezekiel, see, I don't have the time to read all these scriptures. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 14. Please read that. Well, actually, I'm going to take the time. I'm going to go ahead and extend this because this is very important. Uh, so normally this, this program is for 30 minutes, but I'm going to go ahead and extend it. Um, I will be going off the air uh, approximately in the next uh, one minute and 50 seconds. But um, please be patient. Uh, the program will be done by 10 o'clock or sooner, 
and then 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and then you can go ahead and listen to the rest of the entirety of this program in the archives. Because I, I don't want to rush through this. This is very important for you to understand what this day represents. It's, it's a very significant day. It's a wonderful day. So I'm going to go ahead and, and quote these scriptures instead of just quickly going through them. Um, I believe the Ruach or the Holy Spirit is uh, leading me to do so. All right, so um, let's let's go and understand something. I already read to you the Great White Throne Judgment, which many people think is a judgment of damnation, and is not. Um, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, verse 29, states the following. It says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. So he he winked at the, or he ignored uh, the ignorance. Now, King James Version uh, means uh, to overlook. So he's not he didn't punish people because of the ignorance, because they didn't know. So God is not going to punish anyone that does not know. That's not that's not fair. All right. So and then I read you Romans eleven verse thirty two. That he has concluded all in unbelief that he may have mercy on all. That's his intent. He wants to have mercy on all of mankind, ladies and gentlemen. He is a merciful God. And I'm getting ready to go off the air. Please listen to the entirety of this program in the archives. Shalom. Okay, so I'm I'm in the recorded session here. Now in Romans chapter eleven. Romans chapter eleven. Romans chapter eleven, verse thirty two, it says for God has concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. He's not just talking about Israel, but in this context, but all of mankind, ladies and gentlemen. Second uh, Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He states the following. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, We're not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish, folks, but that all should come to repentance. And so coming to repentance also has something to do with coming to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And so when you repent, you acknowledge the truth. What is the truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. It is the entire doctrines of God, the entire Bible, the 66 books. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And so that's his goal. And so the great white throne judgment really, Hosanna Rabbah points to that. It's a great white throne judgment because he's resurrecting the aborted babies, uh, the many people right now, and as many people that, that do not know the truth, have not been taught the truth. The earth is not full of the knowledge of the Lord, but it will be someday. And that's what uh, this seventh day, Hosanna Rabbah, yesterday, uh, represents. The the whole world, those who did not understand and had this ignorance that is talked about in Acts 17, verses 29 and 31, will finally not be ignorant anymore. They will know who God is. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 41 to 42, it states the following, Then the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, 
because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. In verse 42, the queen, of, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for the, she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. All right, so again, there's going to be a judgment period, and there's going to be some groups condemning others because obviously they are going to get it, and they will be written in the book of life. Uh, that's just common sense. <laughs> like I said, I've been persecuted about that recently. Anyway, Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. Uh, this is a picture of Israel, but this is a picture of what's going to happen to uh, the entirety of mankind who uh, did not participate in the first resurrection. Because remember, in Revelation chapter 20, it states uh, in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua, and for the word of God, which had not worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their, their hands, live and reign with Christ a thousand years. These are the first fruits, ladies and gentlemen. This is the bride of Christ, and uh, they will be resurrected, and they will be given rulership along with him to rule a thousand years with Yeshua. For those who don't understand that the, the bride is the first fruits, uh, simple scriptures to prove this. James chapter 1, verse 18, of his own will beget us, he with his word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The assembly of Yah, which uh, for people that challenge me with this, um, they, they, they don't understand that even the prophets had the spirit of Christ. They had the spirit of Christ. All the prophets had the spirit of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. And so if you understand that, then if they had the spirit of Christ, and this, this, this scripture is found, in First um, Peter 1, verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Verse 11 of First Peter chapter 1. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Messiah, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Messiah and the glory that should follow. And so if the prophets, that means not only the prophets, but anyone back in Old Testament times, they certainly had the spirit of Messiah. All right, so uh, let's understand that fact. So in Romans chapter 8, it states the following. If anyone, if you have the spirit of Messiah, let's, let's look at this. Romans 8, verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of Messiah dwells in you. Now, if any man had not had the spirit of, of Messiah... So the Spirit of God is also the Spirit of Messiah. He is none of his. And so obviously the prophets are a part of the assembly of God, the church of God. They are part of the bride as well. All right? In verse 11, But if the Spirit of him that raiseth up Yeshua from the dead dwell in you, he that raiseth up the Messiah from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Now, so that proves that the prophets and all the rest of the people that had the spirit of, of Yah in the Old Testament had the spirit of Messiah, and they also be, will be resurrected with those in the New Testament era as, as well, which is still now the New Testament era. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's understand something here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about the patriarchs, all right? Uh, the Old Testament patriarchs makes a very significant statement here. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 
39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Okay, so that means that they will be resurrected along with us. And they are going to be resurrected first because the dead will be raised first. What is the promise, ladies and gentlemen? What is the Bible definition of the promise? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, it states the following. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Eternal life. So none of the patriarchs have eternal life. And uh, they will not have eternal life uh, until uh, Yeshua comes and indications uh, in, the, in, the, in the Bible indicates that at, when the trump sounds and it appears that that's the seventh trump in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15, that is the time of the dead. That's the time of the resurrection. That's the time of the resurrection of the first fruits. And the patriarchs are also a part of the first fruit resurrection. The patriarchs, along with those living in the New Testament era, uh, are, were the first to understand who the Messiah is. Uh, in first, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Messiah. Who tr first trusted in Messiah. That's the bride of Christ, the first fruits. And in First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, uh, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Yeshua Messiah. Verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believe on him shall not be confounded. Verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto they also they were appointed. Verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation. So this is a, it's many generations, but this, this should help you to understand something, that during this time, uh, this wicked world, he's choosing a particular generation. The Bible defines this as the righteous generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. These are people that were called out of darkness into marvelous light. They were selected or drafted, so to speak. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now has obtained mercy. God has mercy when he reveals himself to you, when he reveals the truth to you. That's how he has mercy. And every human being on this earth, will encounter his mercy, ladies and gentlemen. So there's a, a chosen generation, a chosen generation. That means that not every generation is going to be chosen, not right now anyway, during this age. All right. So so I hope you understand who, who the first fruits are. The first fruits are the people that, the first human beings that will be resurrected into spirits. That who the first fruits are. Those individuals will be his bride, the Messiah's bride, and they will rule with Christ. And they are certainly uh considered virgins, uh, because the Messiah is not going to marry uh someone who is not pure. 
All right. So let's uh, let's understand that this this is alluded to here uh, by the Apostle Paul, and in a scripture here, I'm going to quote this scripture to you. Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, verse two. It says, "For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband." So as obvious, he's talking about the assembly of Yah again. Uh, expose you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So obviously the bride of Christ are virgins, and they are presented to him uh, for marriage. All right. So getting back to Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 14. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses uh, 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, caused me to pass by them round about and lo, there were many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. Many people said this is symbolic. This is literal, folks. This is going to happen. Verse 3, and he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou know. Verse 4, and he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Verse 8, and when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them. In verse 9, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army, great army, that certainly alludes to the, the great right throne judgment, folks. Verse 11, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And verse 13, You shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you out of your graves. Verse 14, And shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. And this certainly alludes back to Revelation. Chapter talks about the rest of the dead did not live again until after the thousand years was up. In Revelation 20, verse 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that had part in the first resurrection, which those in Ezekiel 37 did not have. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. Those are the those are the first fruits, ladies and gentlemen. The, the bride of Christ are those who are going to be priests of God and of Christ. Verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loose out of his prison, and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, uh, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as, land, uh, is, as the sand of the sea. Verse 9, and they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And a fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them all. Verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
And then now we talk about the great white throne judgment in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne judgment and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The great white throne judgment of those that had no clue about God, and they would be given their first opportunity. Now, so let's understand. Uh, Romans 11, verse 26, God promised. In, in this chapter, he says that Israel is blinded, that he blinded them, that he blinded them. Uh, in, in Romans 11, verse 8, even as I'm speaking, this prophecy is still being fulfilled. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, even until this day. When it's talking about Israel, it's talking about all the tribes, not just the Jews, but all the rest of the tribes who I have said many times in this program are the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, the countries in Northwestern Europe, uh, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, Australia. Please, if you don't understand what I'm talking about when I state that uh, Israel, the United States is part of Israel, don't think I'm an idiot. Go to www.britam.org, www.britam.org, and prove it for yourself. All right? So anyway, Israel, both Judah, how is Judah blinded? How are the Jews blinded? They don't understand that the Messiah is Yeshua. Then that the Messiah is, is, is Yeshua or Jesus. How are the rest of the tribes blinded? Well, they don't understand that they must keep the Torah. That's how they're blinded. Now, uh, in verse 9, And David said, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a re recompense unto them. Verse 10, Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back away. All right? And so that's, he's allowed. Now, now, the Bible tells you the reason why he's allowed this blindness. So let's not be ignorant. Romans 11, verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel, all the t uh, 12 tribes, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Okay? So that's the reason why he's allowed this blindness. Now let's understand something, that the lost 10 tribes are in the population of, of the Gentiles. This is found in Hosea, Hosea, Hosea chapter 8, verse 8. It states the following. It states that Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel where is no pleasure. Okay, where there is no pleasure. All right, so among the Gentile population, you have Israelites of those ten tribes. All right? So we have to understand what is said here in this context when it says blindness has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, which includes some Israelites. Okay, in verse 26, and and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. All right. So what is mankind's future? That's the reason why I had to extend this program, because this is very important. And let me just uh, summarize again what I've been trying to speak about all along. Yeshua's parable of the sower is significant because it talks about four different characteristics. Uh, if we go back there, again, so this, this is how we're going to be able to apply this. In Matthew chapter 13, starting, because I, I was a little, I was not as clear as I'm going to be now, because uh, I, I uh, mistakenly uh, was reading something, and <laughs> uh, I realized what I was reading, and I made a correction. Anyway, Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the, of the sower. 
It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, which is the Torah, the instructions of Yah, and understands it not, then comes the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. And so you don't want to be the one that receives the seed by the wayside. That is that certainly represents the Arava, the willow, according to Jewish tradition. That's Jewish tradition that lines up with scripture, and that's the reason why I will accept it. Okay. Now, uh, in Matthew thirteen, verse twenty, but he that receives the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receive it. All right? But here's the problem. Verse twenty one, yet has he not rooted himself but dureth Endure for a while, for when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, by and by he is offended. And so you don't want to be that type where when there's persecution, uh, you, you just stop obeying. And that's not represented by any of the uh, Jewish traditional um, uh, palm branches or citrons or myrtles or willows. So it's not represented by that, but that's Yeshua. So that's the reason why I rather would go by his interpretation more so. But whenever Jewish tradition lines up with the Bible, I'll accept the Jewish tradition. Okay, in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 13, yet has he not rooted himself? I already read that. Verse 22, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. So he hears the Torah and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Okay. And so this is represented by the lulav, the palm branch. He has, you know, he has tor, but he has no good deeds. So, you know, actually, um, the person that hears the word of God, uh, but but because of persecution, that can also represent the palm branch as well. Really, when you think about it. But anyway, uh, in verse. Uh, 22 of Matthew chapter 13 uh, he says he also received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful unfruitful and so you don't you don't want to be that and that's certainly represented by the palm branch the lulaf Matthew 13 verse 23 but he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it which also bear fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold some sixty some thirty which is represented by Matthew 13, verse 23, uh, again, the etrog or the citron. That's what I meant. The etrog or the citron is represented by Matthew 13, verse 23. That's a positive Jewish tradition. And then uh, the good deeds without Torah, the myrtle, which is not found in the parable of the sower, certainly is represented by 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, when it talks about... It talks about... uh, and, th- and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, love, what is love? Second John chapter 1, verse 6 is walking in the commandments. It profits me nothing. So you can just give, 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 but if you don't have the knowledge of the Torah, it's nothing. It's nothing. And if you don't do Torah, it's nothing. All right. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 18 to 23, it states the following. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, uh, which means uh, creation, waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation, the creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected it in the same hope. 
because the, the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So the whole creation right now is, a, is, is in bondage because of sin to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travails in pain together until now. Verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. This is talking about the assembly, those in the Old and New Testament eras that have the Spirit of Messiah. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And then Matthew 28, verse 18 states that the Messiah has all power in heaven and earth. In Revelation 21, verse 1 to 8, God states the following, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, which is represented by Shimei Atarin, the eighth day of assembly. For the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and, and Yah himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are certainly passed away. And so all the former things that were the whole entire earth, what happened, ladies and gentlemen? All right? It will not even be remembered. Uh, that That's the key to understanding that. Because uh, there's no reason to remembering it anymore. I mean, it's, it's totally. You shouldn't have to even um, think about the past world because everything would be renewed. Everything would be renewed, ladies and gentlemen. So um, that's the thing that we need to understand there, in reference to that. All right, so. Verse 24 of Revelation chapter 21. Wait, oh, I didn't read the rest of this here. The former things have passed away. And Revelation 21 verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. Verse 6. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. He says the entire universe. This is the entire universe. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So let, let's understand something. God is offering humanity uh, the universe. He will share the universe with those who want to, to obey him. For those who want to obey him, he's going to offer the entire universe, ladies and gentlemen. But for those who don't want to obey him, unfortunately, you will be thrown in the lake of fire. That's unfortunate, but uh, God is not going to have anyone that's not going to obey him. Uh, he's not going to have you uh, participate in perfection. Because if you don't obey him, you, you, you're not you're not perfect, ladies and gentlemen. You're not perfect, and uh, he's not going to uh, tolerate any rebellion, ladies and gentlemen. He's not going to tolerate that at all. And 
He certainly, certainly experienced a new heavens and a new earth. In Isaiah 66, verse 22, he states, For as the new heavens and new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says, so shall your seed and your name remain. So he, he wants to create a, a universe that's perfect, a universe where there's there's opportunity for all kinds of uh, things that are beyond our comprehension. But for that to happen, ladies and gentlemen, all of humanity has to get with the program, to get with God's program. They have to learn. They have to learn that the only way, the only way that any human being will have success is doing God's way. And then Isaiah 65 verse 16 plainly states that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, the God of Torah, the God of Torah. And he that swears in the earth shall swear by the God of Torah, because the former troubles are forgotten, because they are hid from my eyes. All right? So that's what's going to happen in Isaiah 65 verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. That's what Shimi Atzeret really represents as well, that everything will be totally forgotten, purified from our minds. Okay, the the, the old earth will, will be forgotten. And then in Revelation chapter 21, verse 24, Revelation chapter 21, verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And so there's going to be kings not only in the New Jerusalem, but also on the entire earth. All of mankind will be kings of something. That is our that is our potential. And First Corinthians six verse two to three states the following: First Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter six verse two to three. States, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Verse 3, know you not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? That's humanity's potential to judge angels, ladies and gentlemen. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. States the following. For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, wherever we speak. And so humanity's goal is to rule over angels. Every single human that accepts the Torah, accepts God's way, will be changed into a spirit, and they will be over the angels, and they will judge angels. They will be king over the angels. All right? Uh, verse 6, But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, or the son of man, that you visit him? Verse 7, Thou made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and you did set him over the works of thy hands. So mankind is destined to be kings. They're kings over the angels. That's their destiny. Verse 8, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Some translations correctly translate this, the universe. For that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we not... We don't see yet all things put under him. So the entire universe is not under uh, man's rule yet. 
But we see one who is the first of the first fruits, the first of humanity, uh, being changed into a spirit being. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory. So he's not the only son of God. There will be several sons of God that will be ruling over the universe along with him to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That is the potential of man, ladies and gentlemen. Please absorb that. And this, this is what, this is the fantastic, that's why I call it the fantastic. This is the fantastic meaning of Shimi Asherah. I'm going to quote from Every Man's Talmud, page 411. Our Joshua B. Levi, or Levi, said, The Holy One, blessed be he, will give each righteous person 310 worlds as an inheritance, as it is said, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance. This is based on Proverbs 8, verse 21. The Hebrew word for substance has a numerical value of 310. That's pretty interesting, but I just thought I would uh, quote that that uh, that information from the Talmud because it certainly supports Scripture. Although uh, we we don't we're going to inherit everything, but it's interesting that the Jews have understood that uh, the destiny of mankind is to rule over planets. So that's the reason why I quoted that. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's understand uh, that God will purify mankind, mankind. Rather, The practical application for this is that God will purify mankind and the earth and everything will turn back to the Gan Eden or the Garden of Eden state. The interesting thing about how the Jews celebrate this day, they also have another day where they, they focus on the Torah and they go back to Genesis. The Torah cycle, the traditional Torah cycle goes back to Genesis, which of course, indicates that that's what God is going to do, uh, is go back to the Genesis state. All of creation will be perfect. All the animals, everything will all will live forever. It, it will be at the, at the state that it began. And so that's why it says a new heaven, a new earth, is actually a new Genesis period. That's what Shimi Atrids ultimately pictures. Death, there will be no more death, no more crying, uh, the 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 previous earth uh, and the previous universe will not be remembered. It will be purified and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. That's what Shemiatras represent. Don't ever forget that, ladies and gentlemen. I know I had Torah readings today, Deuteronomy, for for you to read Deuteronomy 14 verse 22 to Deuteronomy 16 verse 17. It talks about uh, observing uh, the feasts and uh, that's uh, let me take a look at it here. Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, starting in verse uh, twenty-two, talking about tithing, and there's there's one tithe, and the tithe is used for three different things. It's, it's certainly used for uh, to give to the priests. It's also for every third year of the seven years used uh, to take care of the poor, and also can be used for feast expenses if it's, if the distance is too far. So that's how the, the, the tithes are used. Uh, but there's one tithe, though. It's not three tithes, and that's that's been a rabbinic uh, invention. Also, uh, let me take a look at the, It talks about the, uh, the the Shemitah year. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. And uh, that's where we get the bankruptcy law, although it's not done the way it should be. 
uh, in reference to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, but nevertheless, uh, it's better than nothing, right? So anyway. <laughs> All right, so. And then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 16. It talks about observing the month of Aviv, which means that we have to observe the new moon uh, to be able to accurately keep it. The Jewish calendar, I don't bash it like a lot of people bash it, but it's, it's, only, it's based on the calculation of uh, new moon observance. It should be done by uh, actual observing from your eye. And I, I'm going to give another Bible study on how to do that, but I know that uh, the Temple Institute realizes that we need to go back to a new moon observance, and uh, there is uh, some talks uh, in Jerusalem in reference to, among the rabbis, the Orthodox rabbis anyway, in reference to going back to the way it should be done. Anyway, Deuteronomy 16, verse 1 says, Observe the month of Aviv, and keep Pesach, or the Passover, to the Lord thy God. For in the month of Aviv, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. And so it talks about that, and it talks about uh, the fact that... Um, the three pilgrimage feasts, the uh, Passover, which is uh, the seven days of unleavened bread, also Shavuot, Pentecost, and also Sukkot, that we need to to, uh, to go there. We should not be empty. So that's what that's talking about there. And then Numbers chapter 29, verse 35 to 30, verse 1, is talking about what is done on Sukkot, all the sacrifices. And then let me go to First Kings, First Kings. First Kings, First Kings, didn't mean for this to be as long, ladies and gentlemen, but, uh, you know, I, I really feel that it was important for me to extend the program here, because this is a very important topic that I'm talking about, and you need to understand it. If you have any questions, please email me at canard at themercifulserviceofgod.com. First Kings chapter 8, First Kings chapter 8, this is in the, in the prophetic section. Verse 54 to 66. says, and, and it was that so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven, and he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord, that he has given us rest unto his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And let these words, wherein I have made supplication before the Lord, be near unto the Lord our God, day and night that he maintained the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. This is a prophecy of what's going to happen in the future. All the knowledge of the Lord shall be over the entire earth. Verse 61, And let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. And the king and all Israel with him offer sacrifice before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered a thousand oxen and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day the king hollowed the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little to receive the burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. And at that time Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, 
a great congregation from the entering of Hamath into the river of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven days and seven days, fourteen days. So that this is pretty interesting that uh, that he offered this feast. So um, it says seven days for the dedication of the house and seven days for the feast of tabernacles. There's a targum which agrees the second. Chronicles 7, verse 9, the Feast of Dedication was first and, be, and began perhaps on the seventh day of the month. The Feast of Tabernacles did on the 15th. And so this is what uh, John Gill, Hebrew scholar, says about that. And then First uh, Kings 8, verse 66, on the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went into their tents, joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done uh, for David, his servant, and for Israel, his people. Yeah, so that that's talking about Shemiatris, actually. Okay. And Deuteronomy chapter 33 is uh, talking about uh, a prophecy, because let's understand that Moses uh, was a prophet. And Deuteronomy chapter 33 talks about the tribes of Israel. Yes, he's talking about the tribes of Israel here. And... Um, and then uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 34, not Exodus, but Deuteronomy chapter 34, it talks about Moses and his death, Deuteronomy 34, verse 1 to 12. And then Joshua 1, verse 1 to 18. It's a pretty interesting scripture. His, uh, the person who taking his place, he did everything that Moses did. He followed his instructions. That's an example that we need to do. Uh, uh, there's one important scripture I want to, I want to you to take notice of here. In these verses, uh, Joshua 1, verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, 24 hours. Uh, you should... Uh, you should meditate on it as much as possible that you may observe to do according to all that is written there. For then shall you, for then you shall have good success. Good success. And that Hebrew is salka, and it means to a circumstance and hence intelligent to consider, instruct, uh, to uh, teach, to understand, to have wisdom. That's what success means, biblically. And then Revelation 21 and 22 is picturing a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, where there is no death, no crying. Uh, remember, in Revelation chapter 20, all death will be tossed in the lake of fire. So death will not, no longer exist in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Shemini Atzeret also represents, ladies and gentlemen. If there's no death, then there's no sin. That's why they beat the willows and, and get the sin out during Hosanna Rabbah, because that's the time when, uh, during the great white throne judgment, those who still don't want to obey God after they're shown uh, given this, this merciful opportunity to understand the truth, to repent, if they still reject that, then they will be tossed in the lake of fire, along with the devil. Okay. So, uh, that's it here. Um, please uh, listen to this program on iTunes, and then pass this show on to other people. Uh, the ultimate goal is to is get this show distributed to those who really want to know the true God, and I offer it for free. It's my gift to mankind. The next show is something that I really need to talk about, 
how to repent, how to change, because most people don't know how to do that. And the Torah readings, because we're going to go right back to Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, starting in, in, in uh, chapter 1 to Genesis 6, verse 8, Isaiah 42, verse 5 to Isaiah 43, verse 10, and John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. Please uh, go to my website, mercifulserviceofgod.com. It's a lot of articles on there, a lot of other uh, interesting links that you can investigate. And also go to my blog, mercifulletters.com. That's mercifulletters.com. Well, thank you, everyone, for being patient and listening to this program. I didn't know it was going to extend past 30 minutes, but based on the topic, um, I had to do it and realized that Shemiatris represents the conclusion, the fulfillment of God's ultimate plan to 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 rehabilitate, to rehabilitate, to rehabilitate humanity. And he will win. Ultimately, uh, humanity, most of humanity will get the message and they will repent. And God is a winner. He's not a loser. Uh, he created man, but in the end, the majority of mankind will understand that they must obey Yah. It's going to be the few people of mankind that will totally be rebellious and they will be tossed in the lake of fire along with the devil and they will be ultimately uh, destroyed, period, consume away, according to a, a psalm. They will consume away, and, and they will not even live again. So let's understand that, because uh, I know that's a, a teaching, people thinking that that uh, people will continue to uh, to live forever, and that's not what the Bible indicates uh, Psalm 37, verse 20, But the wicked shall perish. The enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away. And so that's your, your Bible definition of that, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, the wicked, if they want to remain wicked, uh, will no longer be. Uh, that's just what the Bible indicates here. So, ladies and gentlemen, May God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available to speak to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.